change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, drug-free community substance use prevention coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to episode 41 of the Organizing for Change podcast where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like to be an insider to the Organizing for Change podcast, join our email list. You will be the first to know about upcoming episodes, and you will get a summary after each episode with links to anything we have talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. Over the last few weeks, we as coalition directors have had to shift the way that we do our work. Today's guest, Dave Clausen, and I discuss ways coalitions have shifted to continue the work and the power of innovation. Dave is the current director of SAMHSA's Mid-America Prevention Technology Transfer Center. Dave spent time working with SAMHSA's Center for the Application of Prevention Technologies, also known as the CAPT, and as a Training and Technical Assistance Specialist. There he provided targeted training and technical assistance on substance use prevention to states, tribes, and universities across the country. His primary focus was on partnering with colleges and universities to guide them through the needs assessment, capacity assessment, strategic planning, and implementation of evidence-based prevention programming. Dave is also the host of his own podcast, which I encourage all of you to check out. It's called Prevention Leaders. This interview was so much fun, and I hope you all learn as much as I did. Uh, so how did you get in? How did you get into this? To podcasting, prevention, yeah. the PTTCs. The whole thing. Tell us who you are and how you got started. Why the podcast? You know, why prevention? The whole nine yards. Oh, goodness. Well, that's more than nine yards. It's a long story. How much time you got? I got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll do an extended Cliff Notes version of how I made my way into prevention and podcasting. Oh, all right. Woo, story time. Uh, I was a police officer at Eastern Illinois University, and quite frankly, it didn't take long to realize the impact substance use and misuse was going to have on the way we would do our jobs out on patrol. Um, and I had the opportunity to serve as a crime prevention officer, which meant I got to work with a bunch of other departments across campus, like the Counseling Center, Housing, uh, Health Education and Resource Center, Student Affairs, 
So as I'm getting to know all these different folks and sort of what their mission is, I learn about this thing called prevention and prevention science. And the light bulb just kind of went off like, wait a second, if I'm dealing with most of my calls on the weekends are related to substance misuse in some way. And these folks are trying to help folks, students not consume in high risk manners. That's kind of a win-win that make my job a lot easier. Students would be safer. Heck yeah, let's do more of that. So I just started getting to know those folks, partnering with them, learning about prevention. And just the whole upstream analogy just came to me and I wanted to do more of it. And so then from the, the police officer position, I went to the Illinois Higher Education Center where we provided training and technical assistance around substance misuse and violence prevention across the state of Illinois to all 180 colleges throughout the state. And it just went from there. That's a very cliff, the extended cliff notes version. And so with all that, then you start this podcast <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your podcast, wh why, what you do with it. Introduce us. All right. Uh, so my current role is the director of the Mid-America Prevention Technology Transfer Center, Mid-America PTTC for short, and it does take practice to be able to say that. <laughs> We are the newer version of SAMHSA's TA system. They used to have the CAPT, or the Center for the Application of Prevention Technologies. There, the CAPT provided prevention-focused training and TTA to SAMHSA grantees across the country. But that, that TA was only available to those grantees. It wasn't open to anyone and everyone wanting to do prevention work. So SAMHSA wanted to change and lower those barriers and increase access to high quality TTA to everyone. And they launched the Prevention Technology Transfer Center model, started in the fall of 2018. And so just following with the spirit of that, increasing access to high quality training and TA, making our services available is one of the things that led me to podcasting. Voice, audio, podcasts, audio books, it's growing in popularity, whether it be during a morning workout, a morning commute, lunch break, when you're taking a walk, it's just making it more accessible. And it's really engaging and kind of fun too. So that's what got podcasting sort of on my radar. But then as I've gotten into it over the past year and a half, I've really seen a lot of other benefits to podcasting when it comes to the prevention field. It's a great catalyst for peer sharing. When I bring on somebody from one of my states, such as Kansas, to share about some of the work that they're doing there, and somebody in Iowa hears and says, oh, hey, that sounds great. I want to reach out to them. Dave, can you introduce me? Perfect. Because so we need more and more peer sharing when it comes to prevention, because the more we help each other, the bigger impact we can do. So that, that peer sharing really is a great benefit to podcasting. But then also one of the other things that I've really noticed, it's a way to help lift up folks. Because as you all probably know, doing prevention work, it gets tiring. It feels like you're not making progress. It can be overwhelming. We all get stressed out. But hey, a podcast is a great way where we can help cheer each other on and lift each other up as we're going along in the prevention journey. There's a lot of benefits to it. 
Plus, I just enjoy doing it. That's awesome. So some follow-up questions. Um, I was thinking you said that just the free sharing and just having that access, what is one of your just favorite, um, I guess, stories that illustrates the point of how powerful that is or just a favorite connection that you've had over doing this podcast journey and being able to share that information? Tell us a story about why. How, how important that is and help the audience understand. Ooh, great question. Um, I have not really narrowed it down to a favorite, but a more recent example would be one of our prevention leaders in Kansas. And she was sharing about how she led her team through the transition as we're experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic and having to work from home and isolate social distancing, all of that that's going on and it's impacting our work in the prevention field. But they have, her as a team, they have embraced this time and see it as a chance to innovate and try new things. And they really jumped out there. In fact, they took a youth conference that they already had planned and transitioned it to an entirely virtual conference in a matter of two weeks. And some of the fun things they were seeing about that is youth were able to attend that originally couldn't have attended. Their numbers went through the roof. They were able to reach new organizations, youth serving organizations, new youth from all across the state. And then having listened to that episode, had a couple of folks from Iowa and Nebraska reach out and want to say, how'd they get that to work? What are they doing? Are they using Zoom, Adobe, what platform? Uh, What are the evaluations saying? How's the engagement? Because they're looking at doing the same things because we're all in this together. So that, that's probably the most recent and exciting connection because that, that's what drives me nuts. That's what my passion, I'm passionate about is connecting others so we can help each other. I like what you just said too about innovation during this time mm-hmm. and how people took something that normally would take us probably a very long time to plan and figure out. But in two weeks, mm-hmm. they figured out mm-hmm. how are we going to get this thing online? And just, do you want to say something about um, just what your experience has been in coalitions using innovation or using their difficulties to come up with something even better? Because I think oftentimes what happens is people, you know, get frustrated and get stuck. And instead of innovating, like you can get really down and just be like, all right, I can't do that. It's just not going to happen. But it sounds like this coalition wasn't going to take no for an answer. They were going to find a way. So maybe just... You know, how do you see innovation playing just a big role in the work that we do? Some of the things that really stood out to me when it comes to the youth conference in Kansas and transitioning to virtual and their team, the culture of their team across the state is what really set them up for success. They trusted each other and they trusted their leadership and they they had created a culture in their organization and in their their field across the state that it's okay to try something new and fail. That's okay. You've got to have that, that trust, the trusting teams. You know, It's okay to try something new. We're being forced to do it, so let's try it, and it'll be okay. We'll be here to pick you up if you happen to fall. And it, to me, the, the culture is what is going to drive big picture change. And that's actually one of the things I really like about podcasting is it's another way we can help share 
and communicate the culture and drive that culture change and facilitate that peer sharing and that togetherness. How do you think people start with that culture? Like, let's say there's a coalition out there and they just think, man, how do, where do I even start? That just seems like such a big word. And what, what do I do first? I would say read two books, both by Simon Sinek. Start with Why and then The Infinite Game. Those, those are the best starting points for me. Because uh, once you figure out your own personal why, you can then figure out your tribe why for that the culture or the excuse me for the coalition. And then once you build on that why, you're going to be laying the foundation for building trusting teams and working towards that infinite game together. He's one of my favorite authors, so yeah, good good read. Um, and I think too, well, let's we, get him on our podcast. Yes, uh, that'd be amazing. Um, that'd be amazing. One Goals. of the things that you were just saying too is about the reading part. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes when we get stuck, it's so important to go listen to something new or read something. I find that I'm always listening to something. I'm always reading something, even if it doesn't necessarily have to do with coalition work, but in leadership or even uh, the business world, I find that it jogs my stuckness if you, you know, mm-hmm. if you would, to really help figure out a solution and also talking to other people. So I love the idea of connection, but also reading and, you know, digging, digging around to help find that why. That's great. I saw on your uh, LinkedIn that you did a lot of work with emotional, um, motivational interviewing when it comes to law enforcement. And I was curious about that and kind of your experience in working with law enforcement and just maybe you have a perspective of where coalitions are missing it when it comes to law enforcement and where we're getting it right. So maybe you could uh, just talk a little bit about that and where you see it going well and what we could be doing better. So a little backstory on motivational interviewing. Uh, while I was a, a police officer, as the crime prevention officer, I was invited to co-teach some alcohol sanctioning classes on campus. So students that had been in trouble for drinking or drugs of that sort. And in order to co-teach that class, I was sent to basics training. So brief alcohol screening and intervention for college students. We love our acronyms. Uh, but for those that aren't familiar with it, it's based on motivational interviewing. And while I was there, I was the only cop and I felt like I did not fit in or belong at all. I was like, you know, I I care about the job. Let's do this. And the trainer wanted to do a couple role plays and ask for volunteers. Let's pick the person that really sticks out. So I was selected. And while I was role playing a college freshman who was high risk drinking on the weekends, I got to see from the inside what motivational interviewing, this has some potential. I I can see how this could work. And so fast forward, when I was sitting in full police uniform in these alcohol sanction classes, having motivational interviewing conversations with college students, I had a moment where I just looked around. I was like, whoa, wait a second these college students actually seem to like talking to me about drinking, about drugs. Well, that's so, it's strange. Normally they don't want to talk to me at all. They try to avoid me when I'm walking across the quad. Uh, And 
that told me like, okay, maybe there is a place for this. And do I have time for a story? Yeah. All right. So I thought, you know, let's give this a try. Instead of waiting for the students to, quote, come to us when they get in trouble and have to go to the student conduct office, what if we took motivational interviewing out to them and met them where they are? That's the spirit of MI, meet people where they're at. I was on patrol, and it was a Friday night, and I got dispatched to one of the residence hall rooms. One of the RAs could smell weed. Somebody had been smoking in the room. Sadly enough, happened quite often. As I'm walking up to the residence hall, I get on the radio and I hear, hey, we were just at the same room the past two weekends. Came up empty-handed. Ah, crud. Okay. Um, What the heck? Let's try something new. Let's see what happens. So I went in, knocked on the door, introduced myself, all that fun stuff, the the normal cop stuff, then asked if I could come in and talk to the student. He invited me in and we had a great MI conversation there. He shared with me that he's really stressed. None of his other siblings have been to college. It's his first time. He was raised by his grandmother, and she's not doing too well health-wise, and he's just stressed out. So that's why he smokes. Wait, time out. He just told me that he was smoking weed? Oh, okay. So we continued our conversation and talking about how, yeah, the cops have been here the past two weeks before, and he made the connection on his own that, wait a second. Grandma's really proud of me for making it to college. If I keep getting jammed up by the cops, that's that's not going to make her happy. That's going to really upset her. Oh, gosh, I don't want to upset her. What could I do? And so through first showing up just to have an enforcement interaction with this student, we had an MI conversation. And by the end of it, he decided on his own, next time I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed about school, Maybe I'll just call grandma and talk to her and see how she's doing instead of smoking weed. This is awesome. All right. He just came up with something he could do instead of smoking weed all by himself. And by the end of that conversation, he says, hey, Officer Dave, I got something for you. He gets up, walks across his little residence hall room, grabs a box of Lucky Charms, pulls that down and takes some weed in a pill bottle out of it and hands it to him and says, here you go. This is why they couldn't find it the last two weekends. Oh, All right. Appreciate it. Uh, So I left there, did my normal cop thing, disposed of the evidence, all that fun stuff. And a couple weeks later, I saw him when I was out walking foot patrol. He came up to me real excited. Hey, Officer Dave, how's it going? Check out this music I just put together. Grandma's doing good. This was, I had made a friend. I'd taken an enforcement situation, became very educational, student-oriented, made a friend. He liked the police department a whole heck of a lot better. And he started to create some change in his life around his smoking behavior. It was awesome. So, heck yeah, let's do more of that. So that's the MI story for campus police. So the second part of your question was around coalitions. What what can coalitions do uh, to engage law enforcement, to work with law enforcement? Um, When I made the switch from working as a police officer to working directly in the prevention field at the Illinois Higher Ed Center and then on up with the CAPT and now the PTTC. With that background in law enforcement, I get asked a lot from coalition members, how can we engage law enforcement? How can we get them involved? Is there there something we need to say or do, or how do we frame our message to get them to want to participate and help us? And early on, I thought, 
It's about relationships. Build a relationship with them and then ask for support and help. But I now can add another layer to that. And it goes, it really starts with trust. Seek to build trust with them first, because that's what every good relationship is built on. It's built on trust. And then with that trust, the officers will feel more more encouraged, more comfortable to engage and partner and collaborate and support each other's missions. But it really comes down to building trust. So when you're thinking about engaging law enforcement, think about not how can I get them to do this or how can I get them to show up at my meeting? Think about how can I build trust with them? How can, how can you show that you care about them and are interested in them and their work? And once you build that trust and relationship, it'll naturally come together where you guys will be able to collaborate and support each other's missions. But it all starts with trust. And trust takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Okay, that's my, that's my end rant there before I go too far. <laughs> you mentioned something, too, about the Prevention Technology Transfer Center. I, from my knowledge, each center has kind of like their specialty or a project that they've been working on or something mm-hmm. unique that they offer. Do you mind mm-hmm. talking a little bit about what your mm-hmm. uh, center is doing and just the resources that are out there? Sure, sure. So the one of the nice things about the new PTTC model is we're we're regionally focused. So I just have four states in my region, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas. And that's my priority area. That's my focus. Each region, though, has a specialty area where we get to select, you know, this is what we're really going to focus on. So the New England PTTC focuses on marijuana. That's their specialty area. They're the go-to folks when you need support information on marijuana. And our region, we're focused on drug-endangered children. And so that, that is really our focus to build up training and TA and support and awareness around drug-endangered children. So the prevention field, the coalitions, the communities can identify those children that are at risk and then have a team and supports in place to be able to meet those children where they're at and give them the support that they need, whatever that support may be. Oftentimes, children are the first impacted and the last helped. So we're trying to change that, challenge that, make that difference. Using the, the technology transfer model, we're doing a multi multi-level plan where our first year it was building awareness throughout our region around what 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 is drug endangered children what is the deck approach how how can we go about helping these children then this this current year our second year we've launched the drug endangered children's development academy we're walking seven teams through an academy to help them build their own local deck alliance or coalition of those stakeholders that need to come together and draw up a plan so they know how to support these children once they've been identified. So that's sort of our specialty area and what we're doing. And our goal is to build local alliances at the community level and then also a statewide alliance to coordinate and support those local alliances. And the nice thing about the drug endangered children approach 
it fits in with current coalition work. Almost all of the stakeholders are already at the table in your coalition. It's a matter of increasing awareness, saying, hey, y'all realize there's drug-endangered children out there. Here's some of the risks that they face, and here's some of the, the short-term and the long-term impacts. We can do something. Let's figure out a way to do something. So coalitions, prevention coalitions are already positioned to be able to support and help these children. I would love to have you back on the show in the future and we could just talk about that because I think I could ask questions for another hour about that. So like I was saying, our specialty area is drug endangered children and every region has a different focus area. For example, our South Southwest region, their focus area is ACEs, which kind of complements and goes very well with drug endangered children. This new model though, folks, You've got to remember that just because you're in one region that focuses on, say, marijuana, you can access all of our stuff, too. You have the entire network at your fingertips. For example, New England had put out a, an email to the other director saying, hey, is anybody doing any work around the impacts on children during the opioid epidemic? Mm-hmm. We're looking for some help and support on that. Guess what? They just had access, so I was able to connect them to the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children because that's what they're doing. Uh, and that's just the beauty of a network is you've got access to just that much more when it comes to resources, experts, and support. And it, to me, it just really builds that culture of we're in this together and we've got to help each other out. We're about nearing the end of our minutes that we have. And I wanted to just mm-hmm. ask you if there's anything that you Um, just we're thinking or anything that you just had on your mind that you thought we didn't touch on that you would love to share with people? This has been a pleasure. It's always great to meet and connect with other prevention leaders really driving innovation and leading change in their communities. And I love that the spirit behind your podcast, bringing folks together, because when it comes to prevention, you know, it is better together. So I would just encourage the field, sort of two kind of main takeaways. Be intentional about engaging with and supporting other prevention professionals. Let's help each other out and lift each other up to really build that strong sense of community, not just at the local level, but at the national level, the regional level, the state level, because we are all in this together. And then my second sort of takeaway would be in this challenging time during COVID-19 pandemic, we're being forced to innovate. We're being forced to do things different. So try to, to look at it as an opportunity. Let's rise to the challenge. Let's innovate. And don't be afraid if something doesn't go right, don't be afraid to fail because we are in this together and we will lift each other up. We're here for you and we're here to help you out too. So keep on driving change. We appreciate having you on the show. It's just been so awesome just to connect and hear what you're doing and just keep up the great work. Likewise, and we will be in touch. 
Thank you for listening to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to empower coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring positive change to their communities. To learn more about us or to get the show notes from today's episode emailed to your inbox, log on to our website. We hope you are inspired by today's show and keep up the great work. See you next time.